So this would be Luke 4, 38 to 44. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to those other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, if uh, only virtually this morning. Um, so today we consider one of the core identities of Jesus, Jesus as healer. Um, during a time of global pandemic, I asked myself, what does it mean that Jesus is a healer? What does it mean to sing songs of worship to God, our restorer? You know, like when there's someone uh, sick in the Lincoln household keeping us from attending church this morning. Um, what does it mean to sing songs of worship to God, our healer? One thing is certain, a 20-minute sermon can only start this conversation, which is historically very troubled and weighty, and which I hope continues around uh, lunch tables and into the future. I think that hoping for healing can be a difficult, exhausting enterprise, especially when healing doesn't come quickly or look exactly like we'd imagined. Hope is certainly a community activity, a way that we burden bear, because being in a place of seeking help and a place of dependence is not comfortable. The Bible teaches us that one of Jesus's core identities was that of a healer. When he went about his ministry, Jesus healed those that approached him. We learned last week that uh, in fo following Luke's account of Jesus's life, that both the disciples and the crowds saw that Jesus spoke with the authority from heaven. So in our passage, we see that both the disciples and the crowds brought their troubles to Jesus, and Jesus helped restore them. If Jesus has authority from God over the spiritual realm, that authority translates into the earthly realm, too. Jesus' spiritual authority attracted people to his ministry. Um, and it, it doesn't look, at least in our passage, as though Jesus sought out the sick and the deceased. It's the other way around. They all come looking for Jesus. In our passage, other people come seeking Jesus on behalf of the afflicted, those they care about. The first person in our passage is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, this is after synagogue on Sabbath. Um, it's customary to have a Sabbath, a Sabbath meal, and that's probably what Jesus was planning to, to go and do at Peter's house. It's not clear how big the guest list is. Peter and others are, are said to appeal to Jesus on Peter's mother-in-law's behalf. Uh, in a, it, it isn't her faith that Jesus responds to, but the borrowed faith from others, the, 
the, the collective faith of others. Um, as a small group, as the Peabody small group, we're watching The Chosen, which is a dramatic retelling of the, the story of Jesus's ministry. And, and in this series, Peter's mother-in-law, his Ima, has been sick for some time and it is burdening Peter to be part of Jesus's ministry while his wife is home with her suffering mother. You know, this may be the case, but in fact, the, the story is sparse on details. Luke, Luke doesn't tell us how long Simon's Ima has been sick, doesn't tell us the cause of her illness, whether the illness ever comes back. Really, it shows on this occasion, she was ill with a high fever. It's the Sabbath day, and it, it appears as though she may have been planning to help with food preparation, but she's lying down. And so Jesus stands over her. He rebukes her fever in the same way he rebuked the demon in last week's passage. And there's an, an immediacy to his words. She got up at once and began to wait on them. She's restored to a place of being able to do what she was planning to do, which is to serve her guests. Next, the, 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 the group that Jesus heals um, had various kinds of sicknesses. Um, some of them were oppressed by demons. Luke is careful here to say that some were, were oppressed. Uh, uh, as one in the learned in the healing arts, as a doctor, Luke um, doesn't want to attribute all illness to demonic causes. Um, the first thing I notice in verse 40 is the time of day. It's sunset um, and it's the Sabbath. So uh, you're thinking um, that, that maybe there's no coincidence here. The sick could only be carried to Jesus after the Sabbath had ended, after the day was done and when work was allowed again by the law. And so we see that, uh, the same passage with those that were uh, oppressed by demons, the same that we saw last week. Um, when, for those whose problems were spiritual, Jesus took authority. He wouldn't allow the demons to speak and he cast them out of the people. For, for the other people, I, th I think it's important to talk about the healing ministry of Jesus using our first century Middle Eastern imaginations. I think we can get into trouble when we fail to see the prejudices that we can project onto Jesus's ministry because of our current understandings of medicine and science even though Luke was learned in the healing arts of his day, the gospels don't contain scientific tools of diagnosis and cure that, that we associate with medical care today. We have those who are sick, those who are troubled, and those who become well, those who are restored. The first thing that, that we should understand when we're putting on that first century lens is that the Jews held a very strong belief that God alone sends sickness for his divine purpose, and that only God is the healer. God's the one and only healer. Um, we, we see this spelled out in the stipulations in the Mosaic law, the blessings and the cursings. However, after the, the campaigns of Alexander the Great, the clock's gonna go on for a while, <laughs> I apologize. Um, after the, uh, the campaigns of Alexander the Great, so in the fourth century, Greek thought became more influential among the Jews. And the Jews had to wrestle with the claims that, that some people could and seemingly did heal various afflictions. We see this shift in the Jewish mindset during this intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew uh, in, in the, the wisdom literature where there are proverbs that encourage people to go and consult human healers. And so, you, you hear this message that though God is alone responsible for healing, God has gifted certain people insight. 
yes, there, there were so-called professional healers um, who, according to one historian, these were philosophers or almost modern day therapists who had specific therapeutic regimens of self-analysis and confession and, and correcting uh, incorrect beliefs about the world. Um, but then there were people that the, the that social scientists call folk healers, uh, which is who we're talking about here. Jesus was a folk healer. Folk healers in the Israelite tradition were considered brokers of the gift of healing from God. They weren't using medicines or therapeutic regimens. The healer was a holy person who had a special connection to God. And so it was believed that God alone heals, but heals through others. A lot of, a lot of times in the gospels, we see a healing um, as a cause and effect. Jesus says, be made clean. And immediately he was made clean. Um, and, and it's articulated in, in this passive voice. He was made clean. Uh, the Bible scholars call this the divine passive voice because it's God who's doing the healing. So, so in our passage, Jesus rebukes Peter's Emma's fever and it left her. It's in the divine passive voice. But what I find interesting is the second half of our passage, things get a little more blurry. In verse 40, people were brought to Jesus and he healed them. Jesus is actor of the verb. Um, it's, it's curious. It's a subtle textual hint toward Jesus's divinity. I think when we go about asking the question of exactly what was healed or how it happened, we have to be careful not to read into the story, our own 21st century experience with medicine and sickness. I found this one article helpful in this regard, since it offers several definitions in the field of medical anthropology that better fit the divine folk healer um, model. Within the area of sickness, so these, these troubles in the area of human health, we can understand there's a difference between disease and illness. In the history of human thought, disease is, is a relatively new concept um, that followed the invention of the microscope. Doctors seek to explain the cause of a disease from the perspective of the current ever-evolving scientific biomedical theory, and they propose a remedy, a cure, a fix for it. Illness, on the other hand, has more to do with the meaning of a condition. As, as the article I read put it, illness interprets a sickness, the underlying physical condition within a socio-cultural perspective. Illness is concerned with the, the meaning of one's life and the loss of, the, of that meaning. So for Peter's Ema, illness meant that she couldn't attend to those people in her home with food and drink. And those things that brought personal significance and joy, those things were lost. The fever actually prevented her from doing this. But when the fever left her, immediately she rose and began to serve them. In the wider culture, the wider Jewish culture, the ill of a leper meant that he couldn't got, gain, uh, find gainful employment. He, he couldn't have meaningful relationships. Uh, and, and he couldn't have a normal relationship with God mediated through the work in the temple. In fact, everyone who is sick is situated on the outside of God's holy community. Uh, we see this in Leviticus 21. It says the blind, the lame, the disfigured, the wounded, anyone with a defect may not come near to, the, near to the temple to offer the food of his God. Illness, rather than disease, has, has to do with the cultural significance of the sickness. And it's clear that in the first, to the first century Jew, and by extension, the writers of scripture, they would have had this in mind over the cure of a disease. They would have seen something bigger than just 
fixing the, the biomedical problem. Healing was the restoration of meaning to a person's life, the restoration of well-being. And, and I think we need to be clear that the Bible writers don't inform us about the disease. We don't need, know if Peter's Ema had a cold or a longer standing illness. We don't know if she remained well or became sick again later. But in every case, Jesus's healing restored meaning to people's lives because that was what mattered. I mean, think about the gospel of John where, where there's a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he'd spent his whole life in this condition, he asked him, do you want to get well? I mean, what kind of question is that unless Jesus has more in mind than just his illness? Jesus's healing was targeted at restoring meaning, which we should recognize is possible whether or not a person's physical conditions improve or stays the same. Now, let me tell you what I mean. My younger sister, Ariana, uh, she was born with one arm uh, that was partially missing. So, so she grew up having a really hard time doing things that require two arms, like getting dressed, like tying her shoes and, and things like that. But more subtly, it created a motor functioning delay, which, which created all sorts of other challenges for her, social, academic, I, I mean, a lot of challenges, which she's compensated for over the years. Uh, but I've also seen God's healing grace in her life. Um, as just one example, she just, she just turned 25. For her birthday, Ariana asked her a set of tools to help her learn basic carpentry skills. And actually I, I'm learning you can get pretty creative with how to use fences and push blocks and other things to make carpentry for a person that only has one arm. She was never a carpenter before, so she's not working towards restoring a lost function, but she's working towards the functioning of a typical able-bodied person. The fact is she's pushing herself to learn what she can do rather than staying held up in the limitations of what she can't do. That is the healing of illness, even in the face of unrelenting biomedical disease. Those walking with addiction understand that healing comes through sobriety, but hard-won sobriety is, a, is something that takes support. Uh, it takes habits. It takes admitting to being broken. It takes admitting to being dependent and needing God. One of the habits of AA, which I think is a good lesson for the church, is alongside prayers of miraculous healing for biomedical disease belongs the prayers of serenity. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Alongside prayers for miraculous healings belong the prayer for serenity. Because God is a healer, though it's not always his purpose to heal in the way our culture demands or the way we think best. So let's talk about the church's healing ministry. Um, I think one of the surest compasses to guide the life of the church is the model of the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus healed, and so the church should be about healing. Uh, probably one of the reasons I meet so many Christians in the counseling world and in the hospital system is because the works of service and compassion are cultivated in believers. But what does this ministry look like? Well, the first thing I want to say is, is church, let's pray for miracles. But let me qualify this. I, I'd like to challenge the modern understanding of miracles as something that involves breaking the laws of physics, the, the laws of nature. Uh, this really stems from an, enlighten, an enlightenment view of the world as a closed system in which God has no involvement. 
the Bible has a, a broader view where a, a miracle is any great and wonderful deed by which God makes his power manifest. A miracle in the biblical sense involves the natural and it involves the supernatural. It involves causes we can explain and causes we don't. And God gets the glory whether there's a scientific explanation or not. The lesson for the Christian to learn is to give God glory in our testimony because he truly is sovereign in our lives. As we pray for miracles, let, let us appreciate the miracle of finding a specialist who can help us manage our conditions or our symptoms. Let us give uh, glory to God for the hand of surgeons and for the hand of skilled mental health workers. Let God glory for the things we can't explain. And, and the, the miracles we pray for don't just need to be physical diseases or, or even spiritual in nature. We can pray for God's grace to be shown in innumerable ways in the lives of those who need him. You know, teaching English to a family of Afghans qualifies in the, the biblical definition of uh, as healing work. Teaching uh, to a, English to a family of Afghans is healing work. The work of healing in the church is more holistic than in the, the biomedical field. It's more focused on, on the whole person's life and not simply on the alleviation of symptoms or problematic circumstances. I mean, let's consider the heart. So, so your cardiologist tells you that, that you need to watch your diet because your diet affects your heart health. But Jesus says, a man is not defiled by what enters his mouth, but by what comes out of it. For out of the heart come evil things, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Jesus is truly a different kind of cardiologist. Jesus's heart healing is more holistic because he wants your heart. He's after your holiness and not simply your wholeness. And there's a call on the Christian to faithfulness, whether or not healing is realized in, in our understanding and in our timing. One of the most thought-provoking passages for me in considering healing is a story in Acts chapter 3, where, where, the, where after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and Paul approach the temple and see a lame man who we are told every day for years friends had laid him at the beautiful gate of the temple. So this is a gate that Jesus likely passed through during his life, but God chose to wait until the time of the apostles to bring restoration to this lame man. We serve an eternal God who writes our stories. So even in death, we can fall into the hope of a resurrection and a life caught by God's love. This passage, along with the passage we read this morning, also teaches us the value of a tenacious but borrowed faith. Like the friends who brought this man every day to the temple, in each instance in our passage, others asked Jesus or others bring the sick to Jesus. I, I grew up in a church that taught the value of faith, but perhaps too much emphasis was placed on the faith of the in individual person. Like, like if you could muster up enough faith, that would bring about your healing. Churches that pray for their sick and have faith for God, for God to work wonderful deeds uh, and make his power manifest create not an, an equation of addition, but an equation of, of um, an exponential equation of, of faith growth. Sometimes we need to lean on the faith of others when we can't hope, when, uh, when we uh, can't discern, when, when we don't know what God's doing. We lean on the faith and the hope of others. Um, hope is a, a community activity, a way that we burden bear because being in a place where we're seeking help and in a place of, of, of dependence is, is not easy. It's not comfortable. 
So as we consider the core identity of Jesus as healer, let's ask ourselves, are we engaged in his mission? Are we engaged in life-giving deeds? Are we helping to restore the meaning of life, this, this meaning intended by our God, um, our creator? Those that are sick and despairing are more than the sum of their problems. And it seems like God has a strengths-based perspective in showing the value that each person is capable of bringing into the church and the world. And because Jesus is a healer and we are his church, God invites us as wounded healers into a ministry of healing. The church is a hospital, a hospital that is both spiritual in nature and more, more holistically is interested in the restoration of the whole person, more, more interested um, in the whole person than the typical hospital. So God invites us to be his nurses, his PAs, his specialists, uh, to use our gifts in his mission to join him in his healing work. So let's not lose hope. And let's not forget those in our midst who wait in the exhausting work of cultivating long-term hope for healing. Because truly our God heals. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the ministry and model of Jesus. I thank you that it's your heart um, to restore. Um, it's, it's not your heart to leave us alone or 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 just make us content, but you, you invite us into a, a life of full meaning of participation in your work, which is, which is good. Um, I pray that we would accept your invitation, um, that we would be a church that, that knows your healing and that extends your healing to those that need it. Um, I pray that we would accept that vocation as being a hospital um, to uh, a world that, that is broken, uh, not just spiritually, not just physically, um, but in every domain. We, we wait and hope for your coming and the restoration of all things and, and help us to be your hands and feet uh, in that waiting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.